Hey church, I'm so excited to share this message with you, even in a new environment. In fact, um, I want to tell you, if you haven't checked in with Short Church, this sermon's going to go for a solid 35, 40 minutes. Uh, actually, that's not true. I'm going to try to shoot for 20 minutes, okay? But right in the same exact setting, same clothes, I just did Short Church, which is about eight minutes or so version of this sermon. So if you only have eight minutes or less, check out Short Church every week. We're putting it out there for you to encourage you and help you. And if you're like me, Short Church is my new favorite. But for those of us who want to go the full duration, here we go. I am so excited, I said a moment ago, to share this message with you. The title is Loving Yourself. I know, right? Wild. Loving Yourself. Isn't that contrary and contradictive to the Christian faith? In fact, no, it isn't. I want to quote Jesus. Matthew 22 and verse 39, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, the Ten Commandments are made too. Everybody wants to fight about the Ten, but Jesus made them too, and here they are. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Paramount to the lifestyle of a Jesus follower is loving God and loving those in your world. But what we don't spend enough time talking about is the key element and component to loving well is understanding how to love yourself. So for the next few minutes, I wanna take you to two passages. And these two passages are going to outline for us what it means to love yourself and how to love yourself. And the results are going to be a lot more peace, a lot more confidence, a lot less striving, and a lot more simple steps of trust with Jesus. And furthermore, you're gonna to learn to love your neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor? It's the person in your world. It's the person, some are like you, some are not like you. Do you want to learn to love well? It really starts with loving yourself. Again, I want to quote Matthew 22 and verse 39. Jesus is quoted saying, love your neighbor as yourself. All right, how do we do that? Let's go all the way back some 6,000 years ago to the beginning of time as we see it in the Hebrew scripture, the Torah, and let's go to Genesis chapter three and verse nine. And it's here we have the very first question God ever asks man. How paramount is that? Here it is, where are you? Now God, by definition, is divine, and one of his qualities and characteristics and superpowers is omniscience. What is omniscience? Omniscience is to be all-knowing. So when the divine all-knowing being of the universe asks you or me, where are you? He is not short on information, data, or understanding. He is asking the question not for himself. He's asking the question for you and for me which is to say the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, needed to answer the question, where are you? Now, when God asked the question, where are you? He didn't actually mean the latitude and longitude of where they were on earth. He was asking them, where are you emotionally? Where are you internally? And so that's where our brief journey today begins. I wanna ask you the question. One of the most important questions I could ever ask you on earth where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Again, I didn't ask, are you in Jakarta? Are you in Singapore? Are you in Miami? 
Are you in Seattle? Are you in New York? I'm asking you, where are you? Are you excited? Are you filled with anticipation? Are you worried? Are you anxious? Are you sad? Are you lonely? Are you discouraged? Do you feel hopeless? Helpless? Hopeful? Where are you? In the next few minutes, what I want to do is give you three tools. These three tools are going to help you in learning and practicing loving yourself as defined by scripture. I want to start with the very first tool, and that is you're going to need a partner in this place called where are you? You know, the place you actually are, not the place you want to be, not the place you act like you are, but the place you actually are. Here's the partner you're going to need, honesty, candor. Here's the awesome thing about the practice that we're going to participate in from Scripture, and that is you only have to get honest with yourself and with God. That's where it's all going to start. So here's the good news. You're not going to have to publicize or publish the results of answering the question, where are you? But it's going to start with being honest with yourself. I mean, really honest. And then, of course, honest with God. Here's something encouraging. If you're having a trouble being honest with yourself or honest with God, here's the truth. The truth is you kind of already know where you really are. I think you do. You are hardwired by God to actually know where you really are. Furthermore, God definitely already knows where you are. So you and I might as well get honest with where we are. Again, not with who you need to be. I want to give you this example. Let's say you are a high school teacher, for instance, right? And where you are right now might be lonely, discouraged, and a sense of hopelessness and helplessness over your future. Now, when that Zoom clicks on, you're going to have to be the great high school teacher you are. And all your students on Zoom call, or maybe you're back in school in physical, uh, actual, literal school, When you walk into that classroom, you have got to be teacher so-and-so, Mrs. so-and-so, Miss so-and-so, Mr. so-and-so, right? Now, the delta between who you have to be as the high school teacher and where you actually are can be quite significant. So we're asking you to take that walk, if you will, back to where you really are. And again, to do that, we're going to require almost, it's imperative, I must implore you to be honest. So right now in real time, while you're watching this sermon, you can start doing that right now. You don't have to say it out loud, but you can be honest. Where are you? Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of nudge and a little bit of help because I'm going to be honest right here on a sermon that will probably be listened to by people uh, in different parts of the world, okay? So here is my uh, honesty to the world. Where am I? I'll tell you where I am right now while preaching this sermon. I am in a place called, um, well, there's fear here. And what's the fear? The fear that I'm facing is the fear of man. And that results in my life as becoming a people pleaser. I oftentimes am dependent on other people's happiness to make me happy. Okay, some people call it codependent. You can label a number of different things. But the point is, I struggle where I find myself as a 42-year-old preacher and the leader of the church home community is I am in a place called people-pleasing. And there's a lot of emotions connected with that that I could go into further, but let my candor inspire your candor. And here's the good news. 
you don't have to do it on a sermon that, that a fair amount of people might watch, <laughs> okay? But I encourage you, I'm only doing that. Certainly, you'd be like, I need to pray for our pastor. Yes, you do. Thank you for that. But I want to encourage you to be candid and honest with where you are. Again, I'm going to ask you that important question, not trying to insult your intelligence. Hey, where are you? Yes, you. Where are you right now? Now, the tools, number one, the first tool is honesty. Utilizing these tools is going to be imperative. Now, where you are right now might not necessarily be where you are a few hours from now, but these tools that I'm going to give you, like being honest with yourself and God, will serve you hours from now or even tomorrow or a week from now when you pose the question to yourself, where are you, and you have a little bit of a different answer. These tools will help you do that. Where are you? Now, one of the questions you might have is, I don't know, Judah, I don't know. You ask the question, I feel pressure, I feel stressed, I feel concerned. Here is, um, here's an encouragement. There is really no wrong answer. And what I mean by that is you might have to take some time in really getting down to where in fact you are. And in an effort to do that, you might start with ways like, well, I think maybe I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm stressed. I'm burnout. I don't know, is it burnout or is it just unsettled? Is it unsettled or is it fearful? Am I sensitive or is it, it right? And you can kind of decipher. And I, I truly believe God is with you right now. I know that God is with you and he will help you honestly answer that question. And lastly, I'll say this in response to those who might ask, or, or those who might say, I don't know where I am. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I want to say this. You were hardwired before your life began to intuitively, inherently know where you are. I want to encourage you with that. I actually believe that there's something inside of you that'll help you know. Not only your wiring, your makeup, but God himself is with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's a friend that sits closer than a brother. And he is with you right now, helping to determine, discern and decipher, where am I right now? Now, as you begin to process through this and you begin to kind of land on where you are, people pleaser, fear of letting people down. This is where I am. Where do we go from there? And this is the last passage I wanna share with you today on this sermon entitled Loving Yourself. I got to admit at 42, I look back at my 22-year-old self or even my 32-year-old self and I can't imagine preaching a message called Loving Yourself. But each and every one of us are on a journey. I'm seeing scripture. I'm growing in the knowledge and grace of Jesus. And as we do that, we continue to grow and understand more and more of the unfolding wisdom and grace of God given to us in scripture. So here I am, the 42-year-old version of myself, preaching a message entitled, Loving Yourself. It's wild, but I'm so excited. Okay, a couple more tools I'm going to share, and we're going to answer the question. And our final passage that we're going to go to is John chapter 8. Now, in the first 11 verses of John chapter 8, we have one of the most extraordinary, fascinating, and provocative stories we're ever given in the life and ministry of Jesus. It is here. Very unusual, very unorthodox story. Jesus 
is brought a woman, probably only clothed in a sheet, with a group of men that have found this woman caught sleeping with a man who's not her husband. Adultery is what it's called. And so this woman later, now thousands of years later, is labeled the woman caught in adultery. This woman is brought by her accusers, by these men attempting to practice the Torah as they see it and they explain it. And they tell Jesus, we've caught this woman sleeping with a man that's not her husband. Therefore, the Torah, the first five books in the Bible teach us that should she should be stoned, pulverized by rocks in her skull until her brain swells and she dies. That is exactly what they mean. And what unfolds in front of us is one of the great moments that we see in Jesus' life and ministry. The Bible says while the men, and you can look this up again in John chapter 8 and first 11 verses, Jesus gets down into the dirt. Evidently, we are led to believe that's where the woman is. He gets down on the dirt. In fact, he is writing with his fingers in the dirt quite literally doodling in the dirt, on the level with the woman. And the men persist. This group of men, we're not told exactly how many, but we know there was more than a few. They persist. They insist, the Bible says, to say to Jesus, come on, tell us what you think we should do with this woman. Now, let's put a bookmark in the story just for a moment, put a pin in it, and let's make a couple observations. First of all, these men are in a bit of a rush of sorts, and clearly Jesus is not. Their urgency is probably motivated by religion and tradition, ego and appearance. Jesus doesn't seem to be in any kind of hurry. His timetable is not their timetable. So much so that his deliberate dirt doodling is taking so long, it's making the accusers feel uneasy. Jesus is clearly taking his time as he's down on the level with the woman who's caught in adultery. I want you to know that Jesus will get down on your level with you. What are you caught in? Judah, what do you mean? Well, this woman was caught in adultery. I'm caught in people pleasing. What are you caught in? Are you caught in envy? Are you caught in discouragement? Are you caught in sadness? Are you caught in hopelessness? Are you caught in jealousy? Are you caught in bitterness? Are you caught in lust? What are you caught in? If we're honest, we're all caught in something. There's a broken space and place in all of our lives that seems to hold us captive at times to the pain and the practice of this destructive behavior. What are you caught in? What are you caught in? What are you caught in? Where are you? What are you caught in? Where are you? What are you caught in? They seem to be a similar question. I got good news for you. All the data and the research and science when it comes to parenting teach us something very valuable. And that is when your baby is young, one of the most therapeutic and helpful and healthy things for a parent to do is to get down on the ground with the baby, to connect with the baby, and to let your child know you see them, you love them, and you're here with them. It is not lost on me in John chapter 8 
that the father of us all, God himself revealed in the person of Jesus is getting down with us in our dirt. And he is there where he meets us. Like I naturally even I can see in my physical body, I'm trying to almost crouch down to emulate for you what the God of heaven and earth is currently doing for you and with you in that specific area that has caught you up. He's there. And you know that he's in no rush to leave. In fact, others will imperatively urge you to get up and not be caught in this. But Jesus, he's in no rush. Here's the second tool I want to introduce you to. The first is be honest with yourself. The second is be here with him. Be here. Allow yourself to recognize I am here and it's hard and it hurts. And you could be here because of a decision you made. You could be here because of a decision somebody else made. You could be here just out of time and chance the Bible talks about. Circumstances outside of your control and beyond your understanding has brought you to the place you're caught in right now as you lay in the dirt. I want you to know Jesus is with you down on your level. What's he trying to say? What's his posture saying? It's amazing to me that John chapter 8 is so very specific about the posture of Jesus. When he stands, when he kneels, when he's in the dirt, when he's doodling, because his posture is important, because he's getting down in the dirt with us to say something even through his posture. And that is, I'm here. I see you. I love you. I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. And I'm not giving up on you. That's God. On behalf of God, I want to say this again to every single person watching this who has come to the realization that there are things in your life that has caught you. That maybe you are in a dusty and dirty space and you're wondering if anyone can see you and love you. I want to say this on behalf of Jesus. I see you. I'm here with you. I love you. And I'll be here as long as it takes. There is no arbitrary timetable for when you have to get up or when you must get up. He's just going to be here with you. Now, the accusers couldn't even fathom that, could they? As they rage and they urge Jesus to stand up, but he was just here. Allow yourself when answering the question, where am I? To be honest and then to be there with Jesus. See him there with you. And lastly, as we come to a close, in what is even an unusual sermon for me, loving yourself. I want to give you one more tool. The Bible says at the end of John chapter 8, Jesus stands up on his feet and he asks the important question to the woman. He says, um, where is that group of men that trapped you and accused you and made you feel, and made you feel like your life was over? Quite literally, this woman was preparing to die by stoning. She thought it was over. Sure, she was convinced this was her end, and maybe you are too. Jesus stood up and he says to the woman, another question. Where is the shame? Where is the accusations? Where is 
the trapping? Where are all those enemies and adversaries? And she looks up, maybe for the first time in a long time, and she says, there's no one, Lord. And with a big smile, no doubt a big smile on his face, he says, I don't condemn you either. Now, what you may not realize, Jesus is alluding to the great work that he will do for all of humanity. He is alluding to the fact because he will finish with this. He will say, now go and sin no more. That statement is only true because Jesus, not long from this moment with the woman, will go to a cross on behalf of humanity and he will become our sin and he will become our dirt and he will become our shame and he will become our proclivities and he will become our compromise. So now we can heap all of our shame, all of our pain, all of our weakness, all of our unsettling, unpredictable emotions upon him because he cares. He who knew no sin became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I've got good news for you. You can heap on him everything that has burdened you. There's the tools. Honest with him, hear with him, and heap on him. How do I love myself? Be honest with where you are. Be here with Jesus where you really are not where you should be, you want to be, or where most people perceive you to be, but where you really are. And then lastly, heap. I love the word heap, and I chose it purposely. The word heap means to almost randomly just throw things on a pile. You don't have to do this perfectly. You don't have to pray perfectly. You don't have to say it perfectly. Just start giving him shame. Start giving him the need to please people, the need to be approved by people, if you're me. Just heap it on him. Say it the best you know how, or say it not the best you know how. Just say it. The Bible says when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, when you pray, say, there even is something significant. No doubt saying it in your heart, but also saying it out loud so you can hear it. God, take my people pleasing. God, I give you my inordinate desire and need to be pleasing and approved by people. I give that to you. And what begins to start is healing. What begins to unfold is a true loving of yourself. I hope this sermon has encouraged you as much as it has encouraged me. These are the portions and passages of Scripture right now that are absolutely on the forefront of my mind and heart. They are quite literally changing my life in real time. And I believe they can change yours. I want to pray for you. But before I do, I want to ask one of the great questions. We've talked about a lot of great questions from God today. Where are you? Where are your accusers? But I want to ask you another question. Do you know Jesus? Do you know his forgiveness? Do you know his love? You may not, but I assure you, Jesus knows you. Jesus loves you. He'll never give up on you. He will never leave you. He loves you. And that love will never change. If you would like to acknowledge him, 
and received the free gift of forgiveness that only He offers, for only He was sinless. Therefore, He could pay the price for your sin and mine. It's called salvation. You can be saved. You can be rescued from your error, your wrong, your sin, and the shortcomings that plague you and me in this dusty, dirty space called earth. You can be forgiven. It's one of the great offers I get to do in life and here at Church Home is to offer to anyone and everyone, wherever you are in the world, whoever you are, you can have forgiveness because of Jesus. If you'd like that forgiveness, I want you to just lift up your hand. And I ask people to raise their hand because I think when they physically, tangibly respond to what they're hearing in their soul, it just makes it more real to you. You lift up your hand. God, I thank you for every hand. For those hands indicate that we accept and receive that you are everything you say you are, and only you have the power to forgive us for our error, our wrong, our sin, and our selfishness. And so we heap it on you, and we trust you. I thank you for every man, woman, boy, and girl to the sound of my voice who simply raised their hand and responded in their heart. That forgiveness is free, and it is forever and permanent. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Secondly, if you're watching this and you love Jesus and you follow Jesus, but you have been unable to be truly present with where you really are, I want to pray that God would persuade you today, that God would give you the courage, the constitution, and the strength to candidly, honestly, openly answer that question for yourself and with him. God, I thank you. You know that we're dust. You know that we're dust. You say that you know we are broken, we are finite, and we need you. God, I am praying for every community member in church home and those who are considering and those who are new and those who are watching for the first time, but we need to learn how to love ourselves as you define it. Help us Give us the courage and the candor to honestly answer to ourselves where we are and answer to you. Be here with you and trust you with all of it. I thank you, God. Thank you for your strength. We need supernatural energy to truly practice this kind of love for ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe you're receiving strength. I believe you're receiving energy.